Tell of all his wondrous works. Tell of all his wonders. No one can fathom. Tell of all his wonders. Remember the wonders he has done. No one can fathom. Wonderful to tell. Wonderful to tell. Wonderful to tell. Hi guys, this is Wonderful to Tell. I'm Tracy Conrad. Clearly we live in a world filled with suffering. Just flip on the news or check your Twitter feed or listen to talk radio and within moments you just want to turn it off. Our world is filled with pain, sorrow, hatred, wars, famines, and natural disasters. So it's understandable, even reasonable, for people to lose heart and become filled with despair, and to wonder, where is God? Here is a very honest story about suffering shared by Andy McQuitty. Andy's a loving husband and father and a godly man who faithfully shepherded and served as senior pastor of Irving Bible Church for over 30 years. Here's Andy. I want to tell you the story tonight of how God used cancer and my experience in the valley of cancer to teach me a 35-year pastor at that point, how to live as a Christian. One day I was sitting in my office right up here at IBC. I'd gone in for uh, a colonoscopy because uh, my my doctor told me, he said, you, you're, you're very anemic and, and we, we got to find, you're bleeding somewhere. Went in for a colonoscopy and I got a phone call. I'm sitting at my desk at IBC and I had just gotten off the phone with the golf course setting up a tea time for Saturday. And the call came in from my, from my colonoscopy doctor and he says, Andy, get in here fast. Uh, we found a tumor. Uh, it has broken through your colon and, uh, it's very serious. Come in. And I, when I take, phone calls in my office. I always have just stick it notes and I still have the stick it notes where I had, you know, Dr. Krim, uh, you have cancer. I wrote that down. Get in here fast. We have to start. And it's still in my journal. That was the day that I got a gold embossed invitation from God into the cancer club. And I, I, I say that seriously. It was an invitation into a very special club of people that I'm convinced that when they're the children of God, they have been invited by God to go on an adventure for him, for him. And so I started on this adventure and I'll summarize the whole thing. This was in July of 2009. I went right in for major surgery. They removed the cancer tumor from my colon and 12 inches of my colon along with it. And then they sewed the ends back together. And I don't know how they do this, but it worked. And uh, so I came back to staff, you know, at IBC afterwards. And one of my smart allergy staff members gave me a new nickname, semicolon. So I st- to this day, I have, I have semicolon on my golf balls and everything. That's, that's, that's my nickname is semicolon. And I started in. Uh, to some chemotherapy after that point. And then there was a second huge tumor that they had to take out. Um, I was stage four whenever they did all the biopsies and everything. That means it had broken out. Uh, something over almost 70 of my lymph nodes were involved. And there was another big tumor that they had to do major surgery. Um, it was a tumor up by my heart, by my spine. The only way to get to it was to flay me open 
jumping like a fish from the front and, and take all my organs out and move them aside, get back up in there and take that tumor out. They did that. And then 18 months of chemotherapy after that. And I thought I would just read to you a little bit from a book I wrote about this experience uh, to just tell you the story of the unique and wonderful sort of suffering that comes along with this type of chemotherapy. I write, after both surgeries, it really began to hurt, to cough, laugh, stand up, sit down, walk, turn over in bed, scratch, stretch, or even yell at politicians on TV. (laughs) Other than that, it was a breeze. I even got a new nickname from my staff, semicolon. Little did I know that surgery for me was mere practice for the big game chemotherapy. My chemo adventure also began with minor surgery to install a handy-dandy porticath right under my left clavicle. I was grateful for this ingenious device because it spared me the deleterious assault on my veins that the bi-weekly infusion of the Folfox chemo regime was about to wreak on my body. I soon learned that it sat right under my car seat belt where it rubbed every time I drove my car for two years. Three drugs make up this delightful Folfox concoction. Luvacorin, fluoracil, and my favorite, oxaliplatin, which makes your tissues, especially in hands and throat, hypersensitive to cold. For months, I had to get cold packages out of the refrigerator with gloves and could drink nothing cold, no ice in the Texas summertime. But that was a mild inconvenience compared to the coming flurry of unpleasantness. Folfox has a cornucopia of side effects that include fatigue, hair thinning, if not total loss, nausea, intestinal problems, read gnarly constipation. I'm just keeping it real here, y'all. Sore gums and throat, skin and nail problems, neuropathy and muscle problems, eye and vision and blood count changes. They also produce chemo brain, not a desirable trait, but a mental fog that extinguishes memory, concentration, multitasking, and use of the English language, which is somewhat problematic for me because I'm still preaching, right, over here next door. It rendered me slightly more advanced than a mollusk on the Atlantic floor. And as my wife will attest, this condition never quite went away. (laughs) Folfox gifted me with bowel movements. I'm just keeping it real. Like volcanic magma singeing its way through my system, leaving flaming skin irritation and a crying need for a dubiously named product, which I kid you not is called butt paste. And it also multiplied mouth sores so bad that I went days without being able to speak and on occasion had to use baby teeth and gum anesthetics on the inside of my cheeks to be able to preach at IBC. None of these undesirable effects are surprising when you consider that when a chemo bag breaks in the lab as it did for me one day, they get guys in hazmat suits to clean it up. Now that is just a little taste of what it was like to go through cancer treatment. Um, And as I got into this, the the adventure began in July of 2009. You know, here I am. I'm I'm a pastor at IBC. I've been in the ministry for over 30 years. And I began to have some questions for God. And this this is the story I want to tell you because... The questions that I had for God, he answered for me as I went through what I call the valley. 
And the questions that I had for God really kind of boiled down to, why, Lord, does bad stuff happen to good people? I mean, I'll just be straight with you. I felt like God was cheating me. You know, I didn't say this exactly this way to God in those early days when I'm going through with the oxaliplatin and I'm getting a, a, a Diet Coke out of the fridge with gloves on and I have to let it warm up before I can drink it. And I'm having this ter- all these terrible effects in my body. You know, at first you're brave and courageous and you're all spiritual and this is all for the glory of God and everything. But I tell you what, it gets old after about six or eight months. And um, you begin to have some long, dark nights of the soul. You begin to ask God, why on earth is this happening? And it's, it's, it's kind of like the, the age-old problem that philosophers call the problem of evil, which when applied to Christianity, basically is the, is the problem of pain. And the question behind the problem of pain is, why does a good God allow bad things hap- to happen to good people? There's an English uh, philosopher by the name of Pierre Bailey who put it this way. If God is good, he is not omnipotent or he would end suffering. If God is omnipotent, he is not good or he would end suffering. But because suffering is not ended, God cannot be both good and omnipotent. I think that you very quickly arrive at that conclusion if you don't have a biblical perspective of what God is doing in the lives of his children, when he not only allows them to go through suffering, but when he taps them on the shoulder and says, I have an assignment for you. I want you to go through this suffering. I think that there are a couple of reasons that God does tap us on the shoulder and to go through suffering. And we all do, by the way. Because we live in a sin-cursed world, we're all broken people living in a broken world, and we all suffer. Now, some is major suffering, some is minuscule suffering, but we all suffer. And I always thought, I just kind of assumed, like many of you perhaps, that if you live a good life and if you trust the Lord and if you serve the kingdom, that you'd be spared of these things. But that misses the point of what it means to live as a Christian, which is not to have every bit of suffering and disappointment and difficulty removed from your life, but rather in the difficulties and through the problems of life, even the suffering of chemotherapy and cancer and surgery, that you discover the grace of God and you experience the beauty That's what this is about. And that's what Peter in the New Testament, who was one of Jesus' disciples, who suffered himself for Christ, teaches us in his epistle in 1 Peter 4, where he writes, Dear friends, do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal that has come to test you. I'll never forget when I read this verse. I preached this passage at IBC before. But when I started going through some of those dark nights of the soul with the, the flaming bowel movements and the mouth sores and the, and the, 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 the horrible suffering of that pump that was pumping poison into my system the whole time, um, I read this again like a child. Dear friends, 
Do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal that has come to test you. God's saying to me, why are you so, come on, McQuitty, why are you surprised? Don't be surprised as though something strange were happening to you. God's promise to his children is never that he's going to spare us from all the problems of this world. In fact, if you read the text carefully in both the Old and New Testaments, you find that God promises that you will go through the fire. You will go through the flood. Jesus said, if they've done this to me, they're going to do it to you too. In this world, you will have what? Trouble. Trouble. You know? And yet, how easy it is for Christians and pastors to let that reality just kind of go in one ear and out the other until we get in some trouble or we go through some suffering and then we hear with new ears, dear friends, don't be surprised at the fire ordeal that has come on you to test you as though something strange were happening to you, but rejoice in as much as you participate in the sufferings of Christ, so that you may be overjoyed when his glory is revealed. So then those who suffer according to God's will should commit themselves to their faithful creator and continue to do good. Continue to do good. The Lord began to tutor me in those days. And I began to write in my journal. I began to pay attention to the little things that God would do to encourage me with his goodness. Remember I said that the two purposes that God takes us through suffering is that we would experience his grace and that we would appreciate his beauty. And all sorts of little things began to happen. Uh, people at church gave me this little pager. And basically they just said, Pastor Andy, uh, we put your number in here, people to call when they pray for you. This is an old-fashioned pager. You young ones, you have smartphones. You don't know what this is. You can't answer this when it, when it rings. You just see a phone number, and the staff gave it to the congregation, the whole church, and the missionaries around the world. They had people around the world that gave them this pager number, and they said, whenever you pray for Pastor Andy, just ring his pager. And that thing went off day and night, 24-7, for two years. For two years. The grace of God. The goodness of God's people. I have a friend who uh, helped to establish a very elite golf course called Dallas National in South Dallas. And uh, whenever they built the Dallas National there, there was only one tenant, one group that had any property contingent with that golf course. And it was the Discoused Carmelite Nuns. There's a nunnery at Dallas National Golf Course. How many of you knew this? When you're playing golf out there, that you can hear the bell ringing and the calling the sisters to prayer. And um, Al Peterson is an IBCer. And Al, Alan, when I, when I got sick, he went to Mother Superior of the Discalced Carmelite Nuns and said, my pastor's sick, will you all pray for him? I got this packet in the mail from the Discalced Carmelite Nuns with a CD showing the nuns at prayer and their commitment to pray for me four times a day. And they did that for two years. By the way, you know what discalced means? Shoeless. They take vows. They go into that nunnery. They never come out. And the whole time they're in there, they never wear shoes. They prayed for me. People prayed for me. And I had all sorts of experiences of just 
the incredible faithfulness of God to the point where I began to realize this really was an adventure that God had called me on. And the point of the adventure was not that he would heal me. I never had that assurance all the way through. But I pursued the journey joyfully anyway because I knew that God's grace was with me and I knew his beauty was all around me. What I say to people who are going through the valley of cancer and suffering from cancer or any other chronic disease or illness, people who are going through the pain of life in a broken world through divorces and and, and depression and, and all kinds of warfare in our world and difficulties is, you know, this is a valley. But if you're a child of God, you can experience His grace and you can appreciate His beauty. There's a verse of Scripture that carried me about the beauty part. Paul the Apostle in 2 Corinthians 4.16 is talking about his journey through his valley of suffering, which he had many times. He says, therefore, we do not lose heart, even as after he's told us all these things that happened to him that would make anybody lose heart. He says, therefore, we do not lose heart. Though outwardly we are wasting away, yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day for our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen, since what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. See, Paul understood that the perspective that we as God's children need to have in this world, even if we have a mortal disease, is that this is just temporary anyway. This is just the anteroom to the great room of eternity. We're only here for a short time anyway. So rejoice. The glory that we will receive there far outweighs the pain that we experience here. I was in a restaurant with a friend a couple of years ago, and the tables in this restaurant had these low, kind of like uh, light fixtures over the tables. And uh, one of this, this group, these two guys, one of them got up to leave. They were getting up to leave, and the one guy just bashed his head on this light fixture, and it made a big clonk. And everybody in the restaurant looked over. We were right next to the table. And, and the guy put his hand on his head and he was wincing. And his friend said to him, and I, I, I felt this was so profound that I wrote it on a napkin. His friend said to him, it will feel better when it stops hurting. <laughs> and I thought, I don't think I've ever heard anything more profound than that. Because that's exactly what Paul the Apostle is saying. It will feel better when it stops hurting. Here's what Paul says in Romans 8, 18. Consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed. For the creation waits in eager expectation for the children of God to be revealed. For the creation was subjected to frustration, but the creation will be liberated from its bondage and brought into the freedom and glory of the children of God. A couple of weeks ago, on February 4th, 2019, 
I went in for another colonoscopy. Oh, joy. One of my favorite things in the world to do. The reason it's significant is this is 2019. I was diagnosed in 29. And the doctors from the very get-go told me that even if they were able to get this to go into remission, they would not declare me healed until I was 10 years clear. See the significance of the colonoscopy I had on February 4th, 2019? Dr. Randy Krim, who cut the original tumor out, did this colonoscopy. And he came in beaming afterwards. Alice was there. And he said to me, Andy, you're clear. This 10 years. And so I'm thankful to God for teaching me how to be a Christian through suffering. God's grace and beauty displayed in wonderful splendor through the prayers of people from all around the world lifting Andy up during his darkest days. Christians living out the instructions given by Paul to the church in Thessalonica over 2,000 years ago. Instructions to encourage the disheartened, help the weak, and build each other up. If you have time this week, you should check it out. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. Andy McQuitty has written two excellent books. The first book Andy referenced in his story, entitled Notes from the Valley, A Spiritual Travelogue Through Cancer. The second book is entitled The Way to Brave, Shaping a David Faith for Today's Goliath World. This book, timely and relevant, gives biblical insights for gaining strength and courage as Christians in today's world. To see photos of Andy and to learn more about him and all our wonderful storytellers, please visit our website at wonderfultotell.com. And be sure to subscribe to our show so you won't miss out on any of our episodes. You can also follow us on Instagram at wonderfultotell. This episode was produced by Kevin and Katie Conrad and Brad and Tracy Conrad. And with special thanks to Michael and Karen Wilcutts for hosting our recording session and invaluable support of our crew members, Michael, Lindy, Nancy, Mark, Debbie, Haley, Jeffrey, and John Alfred. Michael Conrad composed our intro, Lindy Conrad came up with our name, and Matt, Jeff, and Justin from Fort Worth High Tech Signs created our logo. If you have a story wonderful to tell, let us know. You can find us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and at our website, wonderfultotell.com. And thanks for listening.